But you go on there and you'll see at this link all of the materials that we've presented. We're trying to add those each week as we go. One of the things on this website will be what you will see, short sketches on Isaiah. And what those are, they're basically three to four points of, of a lesson that could be presented as you read through Isaiah. These just kind of popped out to me. But there's 734 of those points uh, or lessons on there that you can develop for future use. And uh, we've listed those as well. All right, let me welcome you to our Bible study this morning. We are looking at the prophet Isaiah, and as we're going through Isaiah, we're looking at a number of the significant themes that you find in Isaiah, and this morning is to me one of the, the most encouraging. Uh, we're saying Isaiah is a message of hope, and we're going to see how this hope is communicated clearly in the, uh, the reference to the remnant. And so that is, is our lesson this morning. Last week we talked about the, the message of redemption, and you can go online and get those notes if you happen to miss that, and um, see, see what uh, we discussed. As we begin our class, I'd like to begin with prayer, and I know that there's a number of concerns that are listed in our bulletin. And more will be announced later on in the assembly that is to come. So let me encourage you to look at that list and be involved in actively praying for those that are in need of our prayers. Let's begin our class with prayer. Lord God Almighty, we're thankful for the blessings you've given us on this Lord's Day morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together and to assemble as we have. We're thankful for the interest in your word the commitment to your commands, and we pray that we will show the dedication and devotion that, that ought to be seen in the lives of those that recognize your sovereignty. Lord, we're thankful for the church that meets here at the Dalrida congregation, and we pray that you'll bless us. We pray your blessings upon the elders and the deacons, upon each member as we strive together as, as the body of Christ here to do your will. We pray your blessings upon our study this morning. We're thankful for your provisions of salvation. We're thankful, Father, that you have a remnant and that we are a part of it. Forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen. The second aspect, the first was that of redemption. The second aspect that I see emphasized in Isaiah's prophecy is that giving hope because there is a remnant that is possible. As you look at the overall scheme that God has presented to us, you see that he revealed a scheme of redemption that was to be uh, ended with the seed of Abraham providing that promise of salvation to, to all. Well, that promise was that of the coming Christ, and Isaiah speaks about that very frequently. But in that process, God designed that, that this seed promise be kept safe within a community, within one nation, Israel. Israel misunderstood that, thinking that that caused her to be, you know, the, the prize of all the world. And as a result, there was arrogance and complacency and a self-righteousness that just wasn't justified. 
Well, people began to look at that, and as Isaiah looked at the nation of Israel in chapter 1, he said, things aren't right, folks. He says, the whole body is sick. He says, you're, you're sick from the, head of your, from the top of your head to the, the tip of your toe. He said, something's wrong here. Just being a part of this, this whole doesn't give you that assurance of redemption. Isaiah said there is within that whole a remnant that will be saved. And the message of Isaiah is you better make sure that you're a part of that remnant. Because if you're not, it doesn't matter if you're a part of the whole. If you're not a part of the remnant, you're going to be lost. Now that's a message that really isn't accepted in a very favorable way in our pluralistic society today. It's very exclusive. It says you've got to be a part of God's remnant, God's remnant, in order to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah tried to communicate that to the nation of Israel. She didn't want to listen to it. He said, you've got ears, but hear not, eyes that see not. He says, you've turned things upside down and all that you're doing. He says, how can you be the people of God and act as you are acting in regard to the sovereignty of of God. That's the message of the remnant that he began speaking to them. Those that are true and faithful in serving God often feel isolated and alone. They're in the small minority. Remember Elijah, he says, I alone am left. I'm all here by myself. God says, no, that's not true. He said, there's thousands out there that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not all by yourself. But how discouraging it is whenever you look around and it seems that you're in that predicament. You're all by yourself. You're alone. Well, God's message is you're not alone. There, there are many that are just like you. And you need to make sure that your fidelity and steadfastness remains true to God. Matthew 7, 13, and 14 says there's two ways that you can choose in life. There's that broad way that leads to destruction, and then there's that straight way, that restricted way that leads to life. And he says there are how many that find that narrow way? Few there be that find. We need to make sure that we're a part of that few. And that's not boastful bragging. That's not arrogance on our part. That's the assurance that God wants us to have in being a Christian. So as we look at this remnant, let's start looking at, at the, uh, the blessing God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. He says that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is going to send a blessing that will come through the lineage of Abraham. And from that point on in history, remember the nation of Israel can, chase, uh, can trace their unique role in salvation. But as the Old Testament reveals to us, the people of Israel rise and fall in regard to their, their belief and their behavior to God. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 59. And here in Isaiah chapter 59, uh, the prophet says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your sins, your iniquities, have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. 
Your hands are defiled with blood. Your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Uh, they're in pretty, pretty pitiful condition. And yet they thought they were religious. They thought that they could pray to God. And, and look at the blasphemous action that these individuals demonstrate. They were so complacent and so accepting. Oh, we pray to God. We believe in God. And, and Isaiah says, everything that you are doing is contrary to what righteousness says. How can you do that, Isaiah says? How can you, you do that? Look in, in verse 15 of chapter 59. He says, yes, truth is lacking. He who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Well, you look, you look on through, and there's a number of other passages. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 10. Israel still didn't get it whenever Isaiah was talking to him. Malachi 1.10, there God says, he said, I wish that someone would just close the doors. He said, I don't want to listen to your, your prayers. I don't want to accept your sacrifices. You're offering me nothing of value whenever it comes to what I've commanded you. Powerful words. Terrifying situation that is being announced here. They treated God with a casual shrug. As long as I pray to him, I'll be okay. As long as I believe in God, I'll be okay. Takes much more than that, doesn't it? And so Israel faltered many times, and each time they failed, they were encouraged by God to turn back and to follow him. Look in Isaiah 44 and verse 22. There the Bible says, I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. These same smug, complacent, religious practicing folks, God says, you return to me. You got to come back. Don't be satisfied where you are. The concept of a remnant is, is emphasized throughout these passages. There's always going to be those that are faithful and they are confident and trusting in God. And, and Moses was the first one to mention the concept of this, uh, this remnant that was going to be made available. God continued to keep his promise. And that promise Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 4, 27 through 31. He says, the Lord will scatter you among the people. You will be left few in number. So he doesn't say you're going to be totally eliminated. But he says you will be left a few in number. There's always going to be that remnant. It may appear that the majority apostatize and they leave God and they forsake God. But he said there will be a few in number. And the nation consistently turned away from God's commands. And Moses said, if you do that, God's going to leave you. Doesn't matter how, how religious your practices are and how sanctimonious your vocabulary may be, God's going to leave you few in number. And the point is, we need to be among those that are few in number. The same statements reiterated in Deuteronomy 28, 62 through 68. We really don't have time to, uh, 
to look at that, but uh, write it down. Deuteronomy 28, verses 62 through 68. And, and there God talks about those who have a pretense of religion, but their practice doesn't, uh, doesn't match their profession. We need to make sure that we do. The message was clear. If you obey God, you're going to stay faithful and, and in a covenant relationship with God. But if you don't, suffering's going to come. And you need to make sure that you are in the right relationship with God. And here's a point that Isaiah mentions, and really not only Isaiah, but starting with Genesis 12, all the way through, God is always going to have a remnant on earth. The apostasy will come, but that doesn't wipe out completely the presence of God's people. And that has been a historical constant. God has always had a representation of folks here on earth. They may not be in the histories that seculars have chronicled, but God has always maintained a presence of people. And we have discovered individuals that were seeking God and following God and worshiping God because they had the Bible, and they could do that. Oh, they were unknown, but God knew them, and God has always maintained a presence, and that's a providential uh, fact of history. The concept of the, re of the remnant not only was mentioned by Moses, but a number of other, other passages, the prophets, I just jotted down a few, Nehemiah 1, 3, 2 Kings 19, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 14, Amos, Micah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, all the way through the prophetic books, you find that this reference of the remnant is there. And what God is telling us is that Israel, even though unfaithful, there would be preserved within that large group a small remnant that would be a blessing to all men. And so the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 is going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ because that remnant remains constant and true to Jesus Christ. All nations are going to be blessed. Redemption from sin will be offered. The absolute assurance is clearly found in the coming and the death and the burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to look at it, but jot down Galatians 3. The entire chapter of Galatians 3 talks about this process, how God preserved the seed promise and how that seed promise is fulfilled not in a physical lineage to Abraham, but by faith. And all who obey God by faith are sons of Abraham. That's what Galatians 3, 26 through 29 speaks about. There is a blessed assurance in being a part of the remnant. Are you a part of the remnant? Since we see the significance of it, that ought to be an automatic question. Am I a part of the remnant that began in the promise of Abraham, fulfilled in the coming of Christ, has been chronicled providentially through historical narratives. Am I part of that remnant? And that's what we're going to talk about in the lesson this morning. Daniel 2.44 says, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
Hebrews 11.28 says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's impossible. Not gonna, God's promise is absolute. The message of the remnant is simple. God's plans cannot be prevented. Remain faithful to God even if it appears you're alone and isolated. Now let's, let's look specifically at Isaiah and see how he takes these concepts and weaves them within his prophecy. Isaiah speaks of the remnant more than any other prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, the, the references to the remnants in Isaiah outnumber the references to the, the remnant throughout the Bible. This is how important it was to him. And that's, that underscores the message that he is trying to communicate. Just because you practice religion, just because you profess faith, just because you go through the formals and rituals of, of some kind of religious mode does not guarantee that you are a part of God's saved. St. Louis, I was talking with a, a fellow up there, he's Catholic, and uh, that was, was right whenever they decided they could start offering, you know, the, the Sunday Mass on Saturday night. And the fellow says, this is great. He says, because I can go in and, and I can do what I need to do and I'll get forgiveness for what I'm going to do. And then uh, everything's good. I've got my Saturday night and I'm, then i got Sunday morning that I can sleep into and he was as sincere in stating that as you can imagine. But that's what Isaiah was, was trying to address, this kind of attitude. You can't just give a pretense. God wants all. All right, well, how does, how does Isaiah speak about that? First of all, he, he uses the word remnant in connection with these messages. First of all, he talks about there is a remnant that is persistent even in the face of surrounding sin. The disastrous ruin is coming to Judah because she has stubbornly practiced idolatry. And that persistence in sin was going to decimate the population. In fact, it would eventually lead to the, the uh, uh, exile of the southern kingdom where Isaiah was. They would be taken away into Babylonian captivity. The northern kingdom had already been taken away into Assyrian captivity because they did the same thing and the south wouldn't learn. Well, now Isaiah says, because this nation persists in sin, only a small fraction is going to remain. And Isaiah's message was very blunt. If you cannot be a part of the remnant, you're not going to be saved. And you cannot be a part of the remnant unless you... You obey God. Another point in Isaiah's use of the remnant is found in a number of passages. The faithfulness of God underscores the remnant. God promised Abraham, through your, your seed, all the nations will be blessed. God honors his word. <clears throat> and so a small minority is going to preserve, be preserved because the divine promise is going to be fulfilled. And of these, uh, these references, turn with me quickly to uh, chapter 29 and verse 22. And there we find these words that, that help to illustrate this point. Jacob shall now, not now, be ashamed, nor shall his face turn pale. When he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst. 
You see, God's blessings to the remnant is going to take place. And so in verse 23 and 24, the remnant will sanctify my name. They will stand in awe of the God of Israel. 24, they will know the truth. And the latter part of verse 24, they will accept instruction. That's what the remnant will do. And God is faithful to those who maintain this. But look, the remnant survives the apostasy that takes place. Isaiah uses the term remnant to identify those who remain faithful to God even when the majority chooses to be unfaithful. The remnant are the survivors of apostasy. Now, that can be applied in whatever section of history's chronicles you want to place yourself. The remnant of God's people are those that remain constant and true and steadfast regardless of the time in the span of mankind's civilization. The remnant will be those who cling to God. The remnant will be those that, that refuse to forsake His will. And the image of this, the survivors of the apostasy, is so clear. Paul uses it in Romans chapters 9 through 11, as he's talking there about the true Israel. He says, not all of those that are Israelites are Israelites. Now, how in the world do you explain that? Because there is a new Israel, the true Israel, the people of God and those that follow God. They're not all physically sons in the lineage of Abraham, but spiritually they are as Galatians 3 points out. And so the remnant often refers to those that, that are separate and distinguished as following God regardless of the religious environment and culture in which they live. The Lord's church is identified clearly in the remnant. It is known as the new Israel. We are the spiritual Israel not physical. There may be some that will have within their, their genes the, the, you know, the traces going back to, uh, to Israel, but that does, Christ says we can raise up sons of Israel from the rocks. God's able to do that. But God is not able to save the sons of Israel who by faith must believe and obey God's will. And so we are the new Israel. The new Israel is the Lord's church. And the Lord's church, just as physical Israel, will suffer decimation in numbers because many are going to de depart faithfulness. And that desertion and apostasy is going to result in another remnant that surfaces within civilization's history. I remember at Fried Hardeman, I had a course under uh, R.C. Oliver. And uh, at Fried Hardeman, when I was there, you, you, each Bible course, you had members memorize 75 verses of the Bible. And so uh, some of the verses, quite a few of the verses, I no longer remember. <laughs> I, I can read them. And, uh, and complicating that is now I'm using a different translation of what I memorized from. So that really causes problems. But of that, there were some that I'll never forget. 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4 talks about apostasy. 
there's no way you can, can study apostasy without looking at those points. And those points, 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4, remember that. Uh, very simple. God says that there will come times when people are going to depart from the faith. They, they don't have a commitment and devotion to God. They're not steadfast in their, their faith. They're departing. They're going to those that will scratch their ears, those that will tickle their ears, those that will tell them what they want to hear in the way in which they want to hear it. Paul says that's coming. In fact, it was already in progress at that particular time because he was writing to warn them of that. Well, there is always going to be in times of apostasy a faithful remnant. Always. You're not alone. Even if you are alone, you're not because Paul said my first judgment, I was all alone. Everybody forgot. But he said I wasn't. Why? The Lord stood by me. So if you are out there all by yourself, you're still not by yourself. The Lord is by your side. And so the idea here is that the remnant is always going to, to survive. We have a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, cannot be shaken. Hebrews 11, 12 and verse 28 assures us of this fact. Well, the Lord's church struggles with that. And, and the Lord's church is going to remain present until Christ returns. And I believe that. Now, secular church history lists there the church and its development, not according to the Bible, but according to secular history. And during this, this chronicling of, of history, you'll find no reference of the Lord's church. Why? Because it only speaks of those churches, those denominations that were in the foreground uh, of of man's actions. The Lord's church was always there. The Lord's church has never ceased to exist. A number of illustrations can be uh, pointed to that, and we just don't have time uh, to, to talk about that. But the Lord's church is always there. And this remnant of the Lord's church identifies it as the only ones to be saved. Only the faithful in the kingdom, the church, are going to be saved. That's the message of the remnant. That's the message that today's culture does, does not want to hear. But that's what Isaiah was telling Israel long ago. And that's what he is telling us today. And he has his message has been reinforced by the message of many in the world. Now, frightening truth. There, there are many who will falsely believe that they are part of the remnant. But they're not. They have deserted God. They have compromised fidelity to God. And they refuse to follow the obvious word that God has revealed. Look over again. Isaiah chapter 59. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. He says, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear you. Because you are not doing my will. How in the world have we convinced ourselves that, well, they're really... They're really sincere. You know, they have a good heart. So God must hear them. Isaiah, what do you say? Isaiah says, 
God says, I will not listen to you. That's a frightening truth. And that truth is not published in our world today because it's a very uncomfortable truth. Modern man must make certain that he is a part of God's kingdom. All right, let's identify quickly those traits that are a part of the remnant. First of all, they are identified in all these references in Isaiah, and you can add to those, but those are a few that I jotted down. They are identified as citizens of the kingdom of God. A citizen is one who is ruled and governed by the law under which he submits. And we understand that, and that concept is used even in the New Testament. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Well, the remnant are those that submit to God's rule in their lives and the reign of God in their hearts. They have humbled their pride. They have forsaken selfishness. They have bowed their heads. They have bent their knees in contrition. They have fully surrendered to the commands of the Lord God Almighty. Paul summarizes in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified. What do you mean, Paul? It's no longer I that live. See, my, my pleasures, my concerns, my wishes, they've died. They've been crucified. It's no longer I that live. Okay, Paul, what rule and standard? But Christ liveth in me. That's what the citizen of the kingdom of God says. It's not what I want. It's not what, what is my greatest pleasure. But I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am willing to obey God. And so they're willing to obey God. Uh, Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. They are worshiping in reverence. And this is significant. It matters how you worship. It matters what you do in praise and reverence to the Lord God Almighty. You can't just treat Him with casual indifference and with an entertaining zeal you better read Isaiah if you think that that's the case because you're not a member of the remnant with that idea. And this reverence is seen in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 16, Isaiah 56. This, these citizens are walking in the grace of the Lord. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 32 speaks about that. Look, look more. We could go on and on with each, each of these and I hope that, that we prick your interest in that. But the, the remnant are called by God's name. Now this really slaps current culture in the face. The remnant says it is very important as to what you're identified as. What name do you wear? Where, what is the, the identification of the place where you worship? Interesting, uh, over in Isaiah chapter 4, turn over there real quick, and we will spend just a, a few brief moments here. But Isaiah chapter 4 talks, it's a short chapter, only six verses, but it talks about a remnant that is being prepared there. And in Isaiah 4, it talks there about seven women will take hold of one man in that day saying, we will eat our own bread, wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. That's, that's a message to us that, it, that we need to be identified. And if we aren't identified, then at the end of that verse says we are living in reproach. 
it is critical by which name our identification is known. Let us be called by your name, these women said. Now those in Isaiah's time understood clearly the metaphorical message here. You can't just be a nameless entity. It matters by what name you are identified. And he's, he's, he's using this for the remnant. The name indicates submission, and that's easily understood. Those that are called by God's name are those that submit to his direction. And within this metaphorical message here in Isaiah 4, these women would be called by his name, and that means that they would be in submission to, to his will. Those that are not called by the Lord's name are destined for retribution because they failed to recognize the authority of God. In Isaiah chapter 63, verses 15 through 19 talks about this. Those that recognize God's name and wear God's name, chapter 65, verse 15, are blessed. Isaiah 62, 2 says, You will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. And then in 65, 15, You will leave your name for a curse, but my servants will be called by another name. And that was identified, Acts 11 and verse 26, where the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Why would someone seek to disassociate themselves from this name? Why would someone or a group, a church, remove Christ's name thinking that they are going to be pleasing and honoring God? Well, they're not. The reason why they do that is because they want to be more inclusive and they want to be more acceptable and and they just want to have bigger numbers, so they don't want to identify themselves as being too exclusive. It's incredible that in today's culture, many are seeking to evade the association with God's name and God's directions and God's plans, and they seek a name that is not distinctive at all. That is in clear violation to what the Bible teaches, especially in regard to the remnant. Isaiah would look at this kind of culture today and look, here's one of my favorite verses from uh, Isaiah chapter 29, verses 15 and 16. Though There's a woe that's pronounced, verse 16 says, you're turning things around. That's what our culture, you're turning things around. You can't tell God what to do. God tells you what to do. I always laugh at those that are newly enlisted. The privates always know better how to run the army than the generals do. Have you ever noticed that? They just have a, they have a better idea. And you get among them and you listen to them and boy, you wonder where this wealth of wisdom has been hid. Well, give them a few years and they, uh, they understand just how Ignorant they were in some of their observations. And that's so true for us today. You're turning things around. Well, as you look at, at God's name today, look at these points in regard to it. Ask yourself, are some ashamed to wear God's name? What if somebody says, are you a Christian? How do you respond? <clears throat> Is it uncomfortable to maintain that one must wear God's name? You look at those outside of the, uh, the worldview of Christianity, and dare you ask a Hindu, 
Why aren't you a Christian? Or a Muslim, why aren't you a Christian? Our brethren in the first century weren't. Will some replace God's name to entice more? And we're seeing this more and more, and it's aggravating. It's angering to me. They'll take down the name of the Lord's church off the building and replace it with some kind of ridiculous name. And they come up with all of these ideas as to what the church ought to be named, and, and there's not one word when it comes to New Testament Christianity. We now are the Living Waters Church. Oh, really? We now are the rock. Okay. Who is it? Daryl Johnson? Who's the rock? I forget what. You know. Are you worshiping this guy? How ridiculous. Don't you just want to take them and shake them as Isaiah wanted to and say, wake up. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're insulting God. Look at, you ought to be ashamed. And yet they boastfully brag about what they're doing. Oh, we've replaced the name so that we're going to draw more. Oh, we've allowed more into the worship than what the Bible says or that what we have traditionally done so that we can draw more, Isaiah says. Where's the remnant? The remnant needs to separate itself and to draw itself away. Look at this question, or this point. If you want to be identified with the remnant, then you must be identified with the name of God. <clears throat> you cannot serve God incognito. God expects His people, as those in Acts 5, to be bold in what they're doing. That's what the remnant challenges us to do. All right, another point. They are comforted. The remnant is comforted by God's redemption. And here's a wonderful message. You see, the whole may go down the road of apostasy, but within that whole is this remnant that are not. And so even though everybody else may go to hell, you don't have to. And even though everybody else may apostatize and they begin to add and they begin to take away from what God, you don't have to do that. Because you're going to maintain fidelity to God and you're going to be faithful in what God says and what a comfort that is. Those who are a remnant look to the, the blessings that God gives them. Look over in Isaiah 32. There the Bible says that God in verse 2 will be a refuge from the wind, a shelter from the storm, streams of water in dry country, the shade of a huge rock in a parched ground. That's what God gives us. What a wonderful blessing. And we find that in Isaiah, his message. The comfort that sustains the hearts of Christians will help them as they're faced by injustices. Romans 12, repay not evil with evil. Well, how do we deal with that? We turn it over to God. And there literally, Romans 12 says, you give God time to clear up the situation. <laughs> I confess, I wish God would operate a little more quicker on his timeline. You know, there's, there's a number of things I wish God would, would just take care of right now. But you know, if he did it on my timeline, 
that would impact everything else. But he has the vision. He knows the scope. And so we need to be dependent upon him. There is no room for comfort in the hearts of those that are proud and arrogant and self-dependent. But for those that are the remnant, they know that they are being served by God. They are a complement of God's crown. This is the result of it. There's an obvious contrast between those that are among God's remnant and those that are worldly. Isaiah uses a number of daily metaphors, and here is one that, uh, that really is nauseating to me. Uh, those, those of you that, uh, that can identify with what Isaiah says here, I'm sorry. You've seen some of the worst humanity at its worst. It's talking here in Isaiah 28, 5 through 7, about the drunk that is just so drunk. He is sick. And if you've ever been around somebody in that condition, you know how horrible it is. Uh, in high school, you know, you'd have these, these parties. And boy, people would get, they'd be drunk as they could be. And they'd be so drunk, they'd start throwing up. And uh, they, it didn't matter where they were. They're, I remember in, uh, in Huntsville one time, used to, in the olden days, we'd cruise Shoney's. Y'all remember cruising? Some of you don't even know what cruising is, but y'all remember, we'd cruise Shoney's. Well, I didn't have a car and I didn't have money to buy gas, so I always was in the back seat with somebody that was cruising Shoney's. Well, one time, you know, they, Sony's in Huntsville decided, okay, enough of this. We want some business. And so they, you could only circle around so many times, and then you had to pull in to one of the, the areas. So we pulled in, and in this car right next to us was a bunch of drunks. And I happened to look over, and here's something you can never erase. This guy just suddenly, I mean, it just comes out, explodes out. And, and I said, well, those guys are really having fun. You know, and that's what isn't that what they'd say the next day? Boy, we had fun last night. And I'm thinking, you're an idiot. You know, you have no brain to think about this. Isaiah 28 talks about this. Verse 7, he says, These also reel with wine, stagger from strong drunk. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drunk, confused by wine, stagger. They reel while having visions. And then, verse 8, all the tables are full of filthy vomit without a single... That's nauseating just to read. But this is what the people that are not in the remnant are like. You know, uh, uh, we're, we're about to run out of time. But let me just tell you this. The only positive thing that, uh, that I can tell you about, about alcohol... Is uh, a little saying that I, I tell folks, you know, used to I'd want a six, a six pack, but I've settled for a kegger. And uh, that's just the way, that's just the way life goes, you know. And, um, but Isaiah, as he's, he's doing this, he says, this is the way people are. The compliment, an obvious contrast here. Those who obey God's commands, are crowned with dignity and honor. And the remnant is, is identified in these points. We'll go through them quickly. They're surrounded by dignity and honor. They are different. Have you ever noticed those that faithfully follow God, how 
honorable they are. How dignified they are. They follow God's rule and that gives them a beauty and an honor for their dignity. There is an inward beauty that's found at this particular point. Now, in 1 Peter 3.8, Peter there is addressing women, but the principle applies to men as well. He says, your adornment must not be merely external. Talking about, and, and incidentally, the, uh, the adornment comes from the Greek word cosmos, from which our word cosmetics come. And so he says, when you put on your cosmetics, it's not merely just the outward, but he said it's the inward that's the most important, and that's what the remnant understands as well. The message of salvation here for the remnant is good news. Isaiah says that God's word, God's message is coming, and this message ought to cause us to carry swiftly this good news to all who have not yet obeyed the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. And the prophetic word that Isaiah spoke reminded the people, here's an absolute truth, and you can go to the bank on this. The faithful remnant is going to be preserved. Well, that wonderful blessing going back to uh, Isaiah 4 is found there. Wonderful news. But the question is, are you a part of the remnant? If you are not, you need to be. And you need to be today. Don't put it off. That's Isaiah's urgency. Well, let me quickly end with an announcement. Thursday, we're going to load our last container of the year. We need some help. Especially we need some strong backs on Thursday. Now Wednesday we're going to be dealing with sorting and labeling and so we 